give me a three, two, one. Oh, me? Yeah. Oh, three, two, one. Cool. I was just making sure that your voice was getting picked up. So okay. I can see it on my end. <laughs> Uh, thank God it's Friday. You're listening to TGIF, the horror movie podcast that brings you all the casual conversations about your favourite or not-so-favourite horror movies with your host, me, Kat. This week I am joined by contributor for Ghouls Magazine and editor of the Book of Queer Saints horror anthology, May. Welcome. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome on in. (laughs) Happy to be here. I am happy for you to be here. Um, So tell us a little bit about the Book of Queer Saints Horror Anthology, because I have uh, backed the Kickstarter and I'm super excited about it. Oh, Um, thank you. But listeners might not know too much about it. So the Book of Queer Saints um, was inspired by the fact that I've been witnessing a lot of online bullying of queer creators, especially queer creators in the horror space. Um, Because, of course, uh, if you're a fan of horror, you want to see yourself reflected in what you're watching. And a lot of folks in horror are either morally gray, like like exist in that morally gray realm, or they are morally reprehensible. Um, You know, you have evil folks, villains, antiheroes, and people who walk, you know, the line between good and evil. And so when I started noticing queer creators who were exploring that realm, um, people who are really passionate and love horror, who want to see themselves um, queer people represented in horror, um, being bullied, I thought, okay, like, first first of all, like, I'm assuming that it's coming from outside of, uh, outside of folks who are in love with horror, like, um, you know, I've noticed it with folks who are writing um, like short novellas and short stories, things like that. Um, not naming any names here, <laughs> but but I, I just wanted to create something that is a kind of like a cheeky response to <laughs> those um, those criticisms. So the Book of Queer Saints came from a conversation I was having with Eric Raglin from cursed morsels podcast um and sam richard who's the owner of weird punk books which is a small small press in minneapolis um and we were just kind of like joking around about how all queer people don't have to be saints and i thought (laughs) i thought oh that would be a really good book title like the book of queer saints but then everybody in it is a terrible person (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, I, I, you know, it was just this sort of fleeting idea that took hold and I decided to run with it. And then I was really, really surprised by the outpouring of support on the internet. And we ran a really successful Kickstarter campaign. Um, we raised $3,457 over our original goal of $2,000, which was inc- like incredible. It blew my mind because I, I remember my um, my friend came over the day that I launched it. Um, and on the first day, we got almost $1,000 wow. like pretty, cr- pretty quickly. And I was like, yeah, but this is just the first day. What if, yeah. nobody, what if nobody donates after this? And they were like, no, this is this is going to be good and big and like watching it grow over the past month as the campaign has been running has been 
I don't know, kind of eye-opening and um, kind of showed me that this is something that queer creators uh, in horror really want, like we're craving yeah. that that freedom to not be good. Yeah. See, I, as a, as a queer person myself, I don't have a problem with bad queer characters. Yeah. Because think- you don't have to, everyone can be a bad, anyone can be a bad person. Right. Yeah. I think, (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if part of it is the fact that so many villains, um, it's kind of like tropey to have a villain be queer coded. And it has been, I mean, like since people started creating um, and it's been, you know, these villains have been kind of like funny in a way or you know you know what I mean um and so it kind of created this like and I totally understand like as a queer person that um it puts a bad taste in your mouth when you see villains portrayed in this sort of like tropey queer coded yeah of course um so I understand that response um but when you're targeting queer creators like people in your own community i think that's when it becomes really problematic and then you need to stop and kind of like reevaluate yourself and what you're saying cuz yeah. i've seen some serious bullying um come from this and i guess my response to it is <laughs> to invite people to bully me come <laughs> <laughs> for me Let's yeah. go. <laughs> it's like stop no. looking at those other people. Don't look at don't look at my friends. Just target me. It's fine. I can take it. Yeah, because I saw that um, Eric Laroca is writing in the uh, in the anthology, and uh, they wrote quite a controversial novella that um, I literally read and had to go stand outside and just stare at the sky for a little while and be like, "That uh, wow." Um, <laughs> help yeah yeah <laughs> it made a splash like yeah their, their it was book. fantastic yeah I, I think that um I mean as a person who was there <laughs> when those message boards like the aim message boards the like instant message like it really like I'm not saying that it, it was all like disgusting like weird bdsm stuff but but it was weird talking to strangers and you never knew what you were gonna get and i think that like for folks who are are just a little bit older um that i don't know there's something really relatable to it like about it like the violation Um, of your safety that you didn't realize was being violated at all right and then and then just like the loneliness of yeah. the characters and the fact that you know when you feel lonely and isolated like a lot of us are feeling right now then you kind of turn to folks online um but you don't really know those people and you don't know what you're getting and so if you dive in trusting then yeah you might you might get a things have gotten worse since we last spoke type of yes. scenario. <laughs> I just found it a very interesting, um, you know, conversation about those relationships where it's like, this probably did exist somewhere in that space at that time. And that's kind yeah. of, whoa, 
eye-opening yeah. and scary and the fact that it was you know a gay relationship was really cool and I didn't even take any notice of that but I feel like people who aren't in the horror space and aren't queer when they read that probably wouldn't get the same message as what someone who is in the horror space and who is queer would get they wouldn't have yeah. the same reading yeah I, I think that that's what the fundamental disconnect is yeah um, and it's really unfortunate because Eric is very sweet person um, I believe and, that. <laughs> and, and and a lot of the the bullying that has occurred and I mean I it's I've had folks reach out to me since the book of queer saints um kind of like hit the online space like people emailing me like I'm so glad you're doing this because this happened to me too um and it's really really sad wow but imagine being that um, that person that they can say thank you to. Like it's um, such an honourable experience in a way where you're just like, I'm honoured that you shared that with me. And yes, wow, it, it, thank you. It's, it, it's really nice. Yeah, when I when I get messages like that, it is really nice. Um, but it's bittersweet too because it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've read a few of the Hear Us Scream essays um, as I'm typesetting them because I don't edit all of them. I have a few editors on the team. And so when I'm typesetting them, I'm literally like in tears reading some of these stories because I'm just like, oh, thank you for like bearing yourself and being vulnerable and sharing how horror has helped you. And a lot a lot of my writers are queer and and um they explore those aspects which is is really awesome so i hope that they um find that kind of um catharsis reading your anthology as well oh thank you i i hope so too that's definitely the aim well i'm super excited when can we expect to see the book of queer saints of horror um, come out we're looking at a release date uh sometime in february 2022 <sighs> Amazing. So much sooner than I expected because I just saw 2022. So I was like, okay, it could be any time in 2022. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm aiming for February. And awesome. I'm so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes and it is just me. So, <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, I'm like an octopus. I have like oh, eight arms. I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling that lately. <laughs> Um, so for today, you have brought me the wonderful horror film Apostle. Why did you choose this one? So um, I had a few in mind and I tend to gravitate toward film. And I, I think this is true of most people, but toward films that kind of like remind me of my own experiences. And I think that when you watch Apostle, you're probably like, how the hell does this re remind you? I was, her I was own, going to ask you, I'm like, which, which but... bits? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was it the, the, the corkscrew bit? <laughs> was it the um, putting your blood in jars bit? Yeah, that, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's written all you over just, your face. <laughs> you just knew. Um, so I grew up in the Bible Belt. Um, I'm from Arkansas. And I grew up in a very conservative Christian town. And I think that, um, you know, I, I was actually talking to one of my friends about this the other day. So I, I watched Apostle twice for this, even though I've seen it a million times anyway. 
Um, so the first time I watched it, I watched it with a friend who uh, grew up in a cult um, and left the cult when she was 15. Wow. And because ju- I just wanted to get her perspective. And I think a lot about the fact that sp- you know, we kind of think of cults as this sort of like a whole other thing. Whoop, I just knocked something off my desk. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was gesturing. Um, we think of cults as something like kind of like alien and different from our normal experiences. And yet I feel that Christianity in the Bible Belt is very much like, you know, like it's like growing up in a cult. Yeah. Um, I, that might be a controversial statement. I don't know, but it's been my experience. <laughs> my family um, were Mormon, so I'm like, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up uh, Baptist, but the uh, de- denomination in my town that kind of reigned supreme was the Church of Christ. And they were even more like, they took things like a little bit further um and then there were also the pentecostal people and those they took it even further <laughs> so i've seen i've seen like the whole you know i've seen everything <laughs> <laughs> i just feel like religion is so different in comparison to how it is here it's um it's very well it was up until recently a very private thing like we didn't make it part of our personal identities. It was something we practiced at home or on Sunday. But now, uh, because our prime minister is a Pentecostal, um, like, hillsonger, it's become more of an identity thing here, whereas normally we're very yeah. secular. Uh, but, yeah, it's very... Yeah. It's getting a little bit too popular here for my liking. <laughs> Where I grew up, Christianity is expected to be your entire identity. Wow. I mean, you're supposed to think about it every second of every day. You're supposed to tell people about it every second of every day. Um, And if you're not that kind of Christian, then you're um, probably like a Satanist. (laughs) Well, then uh, they're not going to like me, are they? (laughs) No, they wouldn't. I um, made my, uh, my membership to the Satanic Temple officially about a month ago. So, Oh, well... I mean, then you should go straight to Arkansas and visit. That, that, yeah, because I think sh- it would be a really welcoming space. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, I'm an atheist, but st- uh, still, I mean, I don't know. Each to their own, especially in religion. It's the religions where it gets to hurting people that right. I have an issue, especially with what's going on in Texas at the moment. So Yeah. And, you know, Texas is Arkansas's neighbor, so it's it's not very different from than where yeah, I can't imagine. I'm from. But, mm. um, yeah, so I, I chose Apostle for those reasons, because there is a lot that I can relate to. Um, and especially as someone who, you know, around the time I was 13, I started kind of questioning whether I thought God was real or not. Um, and then kind of like seeing Christianity from an outsider's perspective um and it just looked really fucking weird like if you look at it yeah like if you look at it from an outsider's perspective and so I see myself a lot in the main character in Apostle because for like the first half of the movie he's basically like a a passive observer um he's just he's just 
you know, you're just following him, watching what's going on here. And you're <laughs> like, like, what, what the, the hell? Yeah. He's like, what the hell? And, and you're like, what the hell? Like, I feel like kind of like that now. Wow. That's a really cool, like, um, like, co- like correlation to make between yourself and, and a character that, you know, he, we do see him um, explain his uh, lack of faith later on in the film. And, uh, but yeah, you definitely see him just being like, what the fuck are these people doing? <laughs> right. But we're going to dive into that. So a little about the film. Apostle is a 2018 period horror film written, directed and edited by Gareth Evans and starring Dan. Uh, I can, it's as soon as I get to this section, like every listener knows this is what I do. Dan Stevens, Lucy, I want to say Boynton. Boynton, Boy- Mark Boynton. Lewis, Boynton, Boynton, Mark Lewis Jones, Bill Milner, Christine uh, Frosseth, Paul Higgins, and Michael Sheen, who I adore. I am a huge fan of Michael Sheen. <laughs> I love him; he's adorable. <laughs> the film is set in London, nineteen o five, and prodigal son Thomas Richardson has returned home, only to learn that his sister is being held for ransom by a religious cult. Determined to get her back at any cost, Thomas travels to the idyllic island where the cult lives. As Thomas infiltrates the island's community, he learns that the corruption of mainland society that they claim to reject has infested the cult's ranks nonetheless and uncovers a secret more evil than he could have imagined. Although I do like how the evil thing that they all think is evil isn't the evil thing. Yes. Yeah. That's one of my, uh, that's one of my favorite parts like or my favorite things about the movie is yeah. I mean I don't know maybe maybe it's a common theme these days that the evil is actually the people but yeah <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah. how they reveal that and yeah. you know we're talking about 1905 so the industrial revolution has already happened a lot of sociologists uh, sociologists and um you know social theorists at the time are talking about um you know capitalism and you know people just being another cog in the machine and so I find yeah. it really interesting that that kind of um, takes hold in this in this film. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, I think that one of the main themes of the film is that it doesn't matter if you are living on a secluded island. Um, the kind of like the folly of man is going to follow you anywhere man is. Yeah, exactly, because it's not a um it's not ever a location based thing. It's just that men are evil. Right. It's in, it's like an inherent inherent concept that it, it yeah, it will follow you wherever you go. It's your your you know, your brain is molded to think a certain way and even though, you know, Malcolm is trying to say we're doing this and we're doing that, it's like no, you brought those exact same ideals and attitudes of mainland England to your cult and then just tried to sugarcoat it. Right. Exactly. So yes, let's dive into Apostle. How exciting. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, The film opens with a young man on a train preparing himself for his destination. The young man is Dan Stevens. Uh, He plays the character Thomas Richardson. Um, he is shaving his beard and cutting his hair because he is, um, I read somewhere that um, he's believed to be dead what? and nobody, uh, uh, maybe it was just a social, like, oh. like a theory that somebody had um, because he was also an addict at one point. 
he well he's an addict throughout the film because yes. he's he's taking what I am assuming is like morphine or something. It's an opioid of some kind. I did read what it was called. It's like uh like lanth or something, and it's mixed with alcohol. Oh, I didn't. I mean, a, I mean, you you would you would never know that from the movie, though. No. Like, how, how do you? How did they find that out? <laughs> they don't. They probably it. made it up. <laughs> yeah. I'll they own don't. That. Ex- they don't explain it at all. <laughs> but um. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, he's um, the the guy who reads the ransom note to him is like, "We all thought you were dead." So yes. he's he's clearly like disappeared and then yeah. has has returned for this reason. He's a little bit raggedy. He's very um, hairy, <laughs> and he looks rough. I have to he, say, he's had a rough time. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, as he's on the train, we hear a voiceover a young, of a young woman reading um, a letter to her father. And it says, my dearest father, I pray that you have not been consumed with worry in the time that has passed since I was taken. I wish I had a beautiful British accent. Uh, unfortunately, I have the bastardized version, um, you know, when they dumped us all here. You um, have a beautiful Australian <laughs> accent. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate Own it, that. own it. <laughs> I write to you in the hope that you will put an end to my suffering on this wretched island. My captors inform me that if I am to survive, you must travel here alone with the means to purchase my freedom. That uh, should a man of law be sent in your stead, it would seal my fate. Father, I grow weary. I fear our Lord no longer hears my prayer. Yet still I pray for your presence uh, for my saviour. Please bring me home your beloved daughter, Jennifer. Um... Every time I watch this film, it feels like uh, like Dracula, like this like gothic horror film, and I'm just like, it goes in the complete other direction. So I was like, yeah, I wish it did. I wish it was a gothic horror. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely has kind of that tone, you know. Yeah. But it go, but it goes somewhere else. I yeah. Yeah, and I was like, but oh. it, it it does have this sort of like Jonathan Harker going to <laughs> Dracula's yeah. castle. Kind of- <laughs> kind of like feel gonna rescue Mina (laughs) what's it what's this movie about (laughs) and then actually when it goes the other direction you still don't know what it's about you're like what the hell is going on just until like the last half an hour you're like what is happening here right yeah these people are crazy I love being confused oh yeah (laughs) that's my favorite thing absolutely um, so Thomas boards a boat heading out to an island with others re- like cult members that are leaving to join the community. Um, they're going to Ar- Arisden? Arisden? And um, it, there's a group of ex-Englishmen who have forged a new community which is meant to be rid of war, taxes, and the evils of society, which they haven't been able to shed at all. Right. Nor will we ever be able to. No. It's, like, built into our DNA, I swear to God. Yeah. Like, even I'm a bad person sometimes. Hard to believe, I know. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually terrible. Like, (laughs) (laughs) the Book of Queer Saints is actually about me. I'm the the queer saint that's terrible. (laughs) I find that very hard to believe. Yeah. I am. I'm a sweetheart. That's what people say about me, and I'm like, do you have the right person? (laughs) think we're talking about different people here um so thomas arrives at the island and he encounters the leader malcolm howe played by michael sheen who 
founded the cult with two other convicts, Frank and Quinn. And they claim that the Barren Island was rendered fertile through blood sacrifice. That's, no, that what, always, what does that, that even all, mean? It always bodes well. That's what... <laughs> I was told I'd been like, whose blood are we sacrificing? Well, What's then you, you, what do you, you mean? You kind of find out. We do. It's everybody's. Um, <laughs> I also feel that Michael Sheen plays like this... Because see, the thing is, like, he's meant to be the villain. And so through the whole film, you think that he's this evil guy. And at the end, you're just like, are you evil or are you desperate? Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, you, you think he's evil up to a certain point and then you're presented with a bigger bad um, that's more evil. And you're like, okay, wait a second. I think this guy, I mean, he, he represents that, like, the plight of man is the fact that we are ideological and we have egos and when our ideologies and our egos meet um it's kind of a disaster and i I think that malcolm represents that struggle because i I think he genuinely had very good intentions yeah absolutely um but what's that saying that you know um uh for something paved with good intentions the road the road to hell yeah yeah i knew i figured it out i was trying to say it the other day and i just couldn't get the words out of my mouth (laughs) i I mean i i think it's so true for the film though um that when you're kind of like you think malcolm is evil and then when you're presented with someone whose intentions aren't good like i mean this person essentially has the same goal as malcolm but his intentions aren't good and so you kind of see like what the separation is yeah exactly and i find it rather fascinating when we do when we are presented with that bigger evil and it's just like whoa you're both fucked up but you're more fucked up yeah you're you're way more fucked up than malcolm (laughs) because then then by the end you're like but now I kind of like Malcolm a little bit. But <laughs> you feel it's sorry because, for the guy. <laughs> yeah, it's because this other guy was so terrible. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, no, you're both really messed up and you both yeah. should be punished for what you did. Yeah. Um, later on, Thomas attends a creepy church sermon where Malcolm preaches to the community about how he's there to guide them. And he says, each waking day we rise equal, compassion. There's no crime. The goddess of uh, this island saved us and chose my tongue which, uh, through which to speak. Where is the land which has no cause for war? Arms, money, taxes. Our land is here. No tax gatherers will threaten our church. We are utterly free. We are free men. And I find that really fascinating that it's such a contradiction because they're not. They are still... Um, paying penance to something right yeah i mean jars of blood jars of blood (laughs) yes Um, you know so there's no freedom they are still paying taxes and there still is a transaction that they have to make and no one really understands that that's going on yeah I mean, I'm kind of wondering what Malcolm's definition of crime is, because like if if it's the what we think of crime, then there's crime going on all over the place. There's crime yes. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, whoa, wait on. It's like there's well. assaults and murders and like all kinds of weird shit going um, on here. Underage sexual activity. Yes. Yes. Which no, that's 
Yeah. I mean, that that's a story for later, maybe. <laughs> Uh, Thomas discovers Frank's son Jeremy and Quinn's daughter Fionn who I love that name like I actually want to name my daughter that it is a very nice name Fionn I love that Um, and they're sneaking home after a little uh, rendezvous yeah a a little of that aforementioned underage (laughs) activity (laughs) which you know comes back to you know cause some serious issues later um, basically Thomas blackmails Jeremy <laughs> and makes him like admit that Jennifer was kidnapped for ransom. Mm-hmm. And he, he just wants to confirm 100% that his, cause sorry, what we didn't preface this with is that Thomas and Jennifer are related. <laughs> yeah. Did he we, is there did to we not... No, I forgot to add that <laughs> bit. Oh yeah. Jennifer's his sister. <laughs> yes. Not his father, not her father. <laughs> um, okay. So basically, um, Jeremy's like, yep, I've seen her. She is here. And then Thomas tells him that if you want me to keep your secret, you have to help me. Mm-hmm. You will help me. I've got, there's some shit that I need to do around here and you're going to give me the information I need. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the fact that he's English and he's like, you will hold fast the purpose of my being here. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like oh. Dan Stevens. <laughs> I always forget that he is British. Yeah. he does. Well, he does a lot of American accents, I think. It's like, yeah. it's confusing. Apparently he's in Downton Abbey. I haven't seen that. What? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just, like, amazed because that's, like, I don't know what he's, I would say, most known for. And that yeah. was, like, the biggest controversy. <laughs> but <laughs> And we're all like, yeah, we know him from horror movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if I'm going to be completely honest, um, he's maybe, like, my second favorite actor. So I, wow. know I know him from everything. Fantastic. I love that. I don't think <laughs> I have a favorite actor. Uh, probably Keanu Reeves or Nick Cage. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, I just grew I mean, up in that era, so it's all well, like. Well, um... so did I. <laughs> Wait, I, so did I remember. I remember renting The Matrix on VHS and watching it over and over all night long. I love that. That's. So oh. cool. I'm so excited for the new one. Um, oh, I it's am going too. to be the very tra- interesting. The trailer looks great. Also, Pig with Nick Cage was very oh. good. Very that good. movie broke my heart and everybody needs to go and watch it as soon yeah. as we possibly can. If you haven't seen it, it's nothing that you expect. Not at all. And I really like Alex Wolf, so I'm really glad that he was in it. I, I really enjoyed him in that film. Um, so later that night, Thomas is hanging out uh, outside his... Quarters? Quarters? Uh, bunk room? Um... <laughs> And he's witnessing villagers putting out jars of blood. Um, so they practice bloodletting in their uh, little village. And so this is a new ritual that they recently had to start doing because we're also discovering that someone had mentioned that the animals, um, the animal sacrifices aren't maintaining the fertility of the island. Jeremy says something along the lines of that to to mm-hmm. to Thomas and he's like what that doesn't even make any sense so they all know what's going on but Thomas does not yeah um and so they're doing this because there is a scene um with Malcolm and Frank I believe where they're helping a 
a sheep deliver a baby. And it comes out quite deformed and um, all of the babies are coming out this way because the island just isn't um, fertile. So that means the animals are suffering, the crops are suffering, the water is poisoned. Like there's so much going on on this island that they literally um, aren't going to have much sustenance left for very much longer. And I think that that's causing Malcolm to become quite desperate in what needs to be done. Um. I can't remember what leads to the scene where um, Thomas is captured and brought to the church. Um, yeah, I know he's so sneaking around or something. Some someone um, someone knew that someone was out past curfew. They have like a curfew, right. um, and so they knew it was a man. So they brought the new men into okay, the cool. church to kind of figure out like okay who the fuck is right who is it um yeah because he uh, malcolm asks them to recite some scripture right which is like a flashback to my childhood oh really yes um oh my god like i don't want to get off on a tangent but we had this we we had this thing uh growing up called bible drills um and you had to it's like a it's like a regional competition um but everyone who was in the in the youth group had to do bible drills and essentially you had to memorize passages from the bible um and then they had to they would call out books of the bible or specific uh, verses and you would have to have them memorized and recite them or you would have to be like there were different levels you might have to be the quickest to find it in the bible and then you like step forward and and if you're the last uh you're eliminated that's just like another added layer of stress to adolescence that you don't need yeah i did bible wow. drills so you had to have a really good memory. Um, but that, but this, like, okay, this is, like, it's way extreme. because. <laughs> but but this reminded me of it so much because you you had to know it, you know, backwards and forwards. Yeah. And you were studying scripture constantly. So actually, um, for an atheist, I know the Bible very well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do too. Because uh, every Thursday for about four years, I went to youth group. And we had to remember Bible verses and you they'd give you a bible verse every week and you had to remember it you had to learn it by the next thursday um and then you'd recite it to the pastor on the next thursday and you would earn points so so you understand the pressure yes because i wanted to be (laughs) on the top of the leaderboard i did too i'm i'm very competitive yes and then after that um my grandmother signed us up with the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and we had to remember things for our um, baptism. Mm. So we had to remember to cite passages and stuff like that in um, for baptism. So that was – my mum wasn't even allowed to watch me get baptised because she wasn't baptised. Mm. So well, she wasn't even allowed in that part of the church. I feel like I, – I mean, I don't know if it's lucky or what, but where I grew up, you could literally just say – I believe in Jesus now. And then they, they would just dip you in some water and <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, no. you know, in like, it, it, process. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, like it's a thing like that you, you put on the robe or whatever and you, yeah. you go into the big bathtub or whatever. Um, but like you didn't, there were no prerequisites at all. 
all you had to just you just had to be like i believe in jesus and oh wow baptize you we had to do like um we had to study the book of mormon like twice a week for months before we were considered okay to be like accepted and approved to be baptized yeah we have no such vetting just like a cult in, just, initiation just, just any just any person anyway. can come in I mean, because I mean, I think that the point of Christianity where I grew up was just to make sure that there were as many Christians as possible. Yeah, that's insane. And it makes people it makes it makes the pastor and like the leaders feel really good. The more Ooh, people get baptized, so they're, they're like, hell yeah, 15 people today. It's like 15 people who are going to get dipped in some, into water and then they're going to go home and it's going to be like nothing. You know. it, it's just water but but yours took real commitment yeah we had to prove that we were committed yeah yeah so the elders would come to my house my mum would make them dinner and my sister and I would do Book of Mormon study with the elders that were going to baptize us mm. so uh my I had um El- Elder Waters was his name he baptized me Elder Waters. And my sister's was Elder Ballard. He was from Utah. He was on his mission from Utah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I did I did go with I did I went to school with um someone who was Mormon, which is like really, really rare where I'm from. Where you are. Yeah. Um and everybody was like very fascinated by the fact that he was Mormon. So he was like in a way kind of popular because we were all like, whoa, I'm Mormon. Whoa. We were the same way with Catholics too. It's like really rare to have someone Catholic. So yeah. like anyone Catholic in our school, we were like, oh my God, did you hear that person's Catholic? I was in my school, nobody cared about religion. <laughs> yeah, it's like when I say inundated, we were literally drowning in religion. Wow, that's so fascinating. That is that's fascinating for me, coming from somewhere where, yeah, religion is a private thing here. Yeah, which I think it should be because I don't want to hear about how God will save you from COVID because it's not going to happen. Science will save you from COVID. Um, yeah. <laughs> so as Malcolm is going through the villages, asking them to repeat their, it's like a, it is still Christian scripture. I didn't recognize it, so I wasn't a hundred percent sure if it was like. Um, Malcolm scripture um, like their islands book of whatever that they've created or if they were taking it from the bible I didn't recognize it um it's it's um Malcolm scripture I'm pretty sure like a prayer or something that they have but like that book is thick as hell so like who wrote it I want to know I mean, I'm assuming Malcolm, because like he says, <laughs> she speaks to me and I write it. And it's kind of uh, like, yes. um, you know, the the folks who wrote the Gospels or whatever, you know. Um, men. But yeah, yeah, men, Malcolm. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think uh, also like how long have they been there? He wrote that whole last book. Yeah, they must have been there for quite some time. How old is Malcolm? I mean, when I'm he arrived, sure. he had like long. Yeah, luscious. he was young. Yeah, Michael maybe twenty. Just a beautiful person. He's Sorry. it's his eyes. It's the eyes for me, where I'm just like, yeah. I don't know. You are a mysterious human being. <laughs> it's like, Whatever are you is, are you even human? Because there's something going yes. on here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. 
So at this point, as he's going across the line, one of the newcomers actually attempts to assassinate Malcolm, but Thomas intervenes and is wounded. Um, What I find interesting is that Malcolm speculates that there is a co-conspirator, so he parades Jennifer through the village claiming that she will will be killed if her if her co-conspirator does not come forward. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then he puts her in the stocks. Yeah. Which, which I was like, how embarrassing. Yeah. And, and they cut off a lock of her hair, like at the, at, like not the scalp, but like at the scalp, um, which I did not really understand why they did that. Yeah. If I, it come up later, I think maybe it was one of those things where they did it and then forgot to, put it back in somewhere and be like yeah i mean i was wondering if it was because they were expecting that the the co-conspirator or whatever was watching and so they wanted to look like they were gonna kill her but instead they just cut off a piece of her hair maybe because it's embarrassing for a woman with long hair to have their hair cut i don't know yeah Um, there'd be some rationality behind why it was done i'm sure but I have to also say, you know, when they put her in the in the stocks or whatever, which is actually just kind of like chaining her on the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, the punishment really was that there were just kids like poking her with sticks and <laughs> and like for for an island that is so extreme. I thought that that was actually an okay. Wasn't that bad. Yeah, that wasn't that bad. I was like. <laughs> 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 but uh the the that day andrea who is malcolm's daughter um which is lucy uh boyton who is in the black coat's daughter and i am the pretty thing that lives in the house which i thought was really interesting hmm. um goes and tells jennifer that shoes the children away and tells her that she'll make sure that nobody hurts her and gives her something to eat so andrea is like that compassionate person that's um i think she you know, and as we do get to know her, she questions what the hell goes on in that island and why they're there. Yeah. They don't even, I mean, she doesn't seem to have the same beliefs as her father at all. Um, yeah. So I always thought that she was kind of an interesting character and also for me a relatable character because I think she's just kind of going along with what's going on on the island because that's where she grew up and that's where she lives. Um, she's stuck there. So yeah, it's like, oh, well. It's like, like it's apparently very difficult to get off that island. Um, so she's just kind of like making the best of it. Yeah. She seems to be, you know, the voice of reason and compassion and. Um, Women always are. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, that there, night, the village. There are no bad women. There Sorry. are. <laughs> there are no bad women. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not. Um, that night they're having a celebration. I don't know what happened, but they were celebrating something. Was it someone's birthday? I don't know. They're having a party. Yeah, it was like a festival or something. I don't oh, know. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, is it party time? <laughs> they were all wearing masks, though. Yeah. It almost looked like Halloween. But, I mean, mm. it wasn't Halloween, but it, you know, almost, it felt like yeah. Halloween. It did feel a little bit spooky with all the lights and everything that they had on as well. I was like, that looks... Interesting. But, but then they had this like really exciting folk music with, yeah. a, really good, with a really good beat. Because <laughs> so. Andrea asks uh, Thomas if, she, if he'd like to dance and he's yeah. like, mm, no, no, he doesn't dance. 
I think that anyone going into this movie should be aware that uh, Dan Stevens as Thomas is like the most grim, (laughs) crotchety, like never smiley (laughs) person I've ever seen. He smiles at the end and I think that that's it. Yeah. I mean, there might be a couple of times you get a little bit of a, a twitch, you know? Maybe. Yeah. But don't expect anything too flash. Right, right. <laughs> Full on smile. Yeah. Uh, Thomas notices that everyone's distracted, so he grabs his small recruit, Jeremy, and he's going to head in under the buildings to see what's going on. Because I think he's recognized that all the buildings are built up and that there's entryways into these like underway stuff that's going on underneath the island. Um, so during, during his sneaky sneak, he I think he saw Malcolm going into a tunnel. And that's yes. how he, he figured yeah. out. Yeah. No. He's like, this time, what are you guys doing in there? What are you doing? Um one of the henchmen discovers Jeremy because he's like half under, <laughs> half out. Yeah, like he's not even trying to hide. Around. No. <laughs> <laughs> what a what the, he's the worst lookout. Yeah. And like he's a genuine kid as well. Like he he wants to help Thomas. He's genuine, but he is not very clever. No. You I feel know. like these children are not educated at all. No. Well, they're they're very sheltered. Indoctrinated. Yes. <laughs> um so he's grabbed and he gets taken to Malcolm and basically they realize that he's inside. Now, I don't think they realize it's Thomas, but they know that it's somebody, one of the men that's new to the island. Yeah. Um, They grab all of the weapons that they have, I swear to God. There's shotguns (laughs) and an axe and just, I don't know where they get all the guns from, to be honest. And they head into the underground to, to, to get this him out of the underground. While searching underground in the dark, with only a dull lamp to help him see, Thomas discovers a gruesome tunnel that is filled with goo and blood and animal parts. Yeah. Uh, It's pretty gross. Um, And I love the part where Malcolm is, like, above and he sees a shadow and shoots into the floorboards. And then he opens a lid and it's one of the the head, like, I think it's Frank or Quinn. And he's like, what are you doing? It's me. Yeah, yeah. You nearly shot me. <laughs> it's, it's not a very smart move on Malcolm's part, for sure. No, he could have killed anybody. Because um, Dan uh, Thomas <laughs> has gone into the uh, bloody goo tunnel. Yeah, ew. Oh, the noise, the squelching that that made while he's in there. I was like, oh, no. It's absolutely disgusting. And it's claustrophobic. and Yeah, but it's one of my, like, like it's gross. But for me, it's also kind of the funniest scene. Yeah. (laughs) Because he looks terrified. um, And disgusted. And and disgusted, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But he's covered in it. So all you can see are, like, the whites of his eyes just, like, really huge. Yeah. Oh, it's so gross. Oh. Yeah, it's um, gross. So whilst he's in this uh, visceral, watery cavern, he is chased by uh, an old woman shrieking. And he... that that That's probably the only thing that scared me in this film because I was not expecting that at all. 
Well, okay, there's a part earlier on when he notices their bloodletting um, that he, for some reason, there's like a sharp piece on his key to his door um, and it cuts him and some of his blood drops on the floor. And then all of a sudden, like, there's just like a mouth, <laughs> like sucking up the blood. Do you, remember, yeah. do you remember that part? That is the part that scared me. Oh, really? I just yeah. thought that was really, uh, it is scary, but I thought it was also really cool. So maybe me thinking how cool it was overwrote, like overwrote, like wrote me being scared. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it was cleverly done, but for me, yeah. that was like the jump scare. Yeah, this this woman in the tunnel, I was like, oh, no, nah, get me the fuck out of this movie. Because folk horror doesn't have a tendency to be very, like, it's more dread and, um, like, intense than than I find it, you know, scary or, or find jump scares. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, he manages to escape to a beach cave that is covered in symbols and markings and carvings. Um, that are very interesting. So I did do some research on what those carvings were and I didn't write it down in typical me fashion. So I just read about it and then was like, oh, that's it. But there is a goddess <laughs> and I should have written the name down um, that all of these markings do refer to. So yes. it's an actual goddess. Yeah, I, I read that too. The goddess's name started with like an n or something i don't yeah, know I should have written that, this down that's not helpful to anyone i'm sorry look, um you can look it up on yeah. google i'm not your yeah. mom i'm assuming that you're probably listening to this on your phone just you know, yeah just get that <laughs> google open but it is a real the this the the carvings are real carvings of, for a deity of pagan religion I believe paganism. Well, everything goes back to paganism, even Easter and Christmas. Right. Um, <laughs> don't don't tell that to my hometown. I won't. But I'm going to write them a huge letter about it. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get a knock don't. on. You're going to get a knock on your door. No, I'm kidding. They're, I'm, they're not that. They're not. They're not that scary. But I am so sorry. I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. She's just going to. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure your mom is lovely. She is. <laughs> Cut that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're sorry. She, you're allowed to say that about your mom. Yeah, uh, she, what you, she won't what listen you say to about this. Mom? It's fine. Um, so Malcolm, we see Malcolm visiting a barn where um, the old woman is. And she's in fact the island's deity and she's imprisoned in tree roots so she's stuck there too bad so sad and he reprimands her for appearing to thomas before he uh feeds her his blood causing the vegetation imprisoning her to bloom and uh she said he says to um the deity do not uh, he's not to be trusted he won't worship you as i no more shall you poison our crop so that's interesting and we, she's, uh, she's like, bitch, I will poison your crop. I she's will like, continue, no. I will continue to do it. <laughs> I, will, I do what I want. You don't get to tell me what to do. I'm literally an ancient pagan deity. I will I, kill you. <laughs> I was here before paganism even existed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we see a creature uh, which is known as the Grinder, and he has, uh, which I found really fascinating, like a wicker mask around his head. 
Yeah. Um, which was really cool. This is one of my favorite, I mean, I, I say this about a lot of things, but it's one of my favorite aspects of the film is that this man person grinder is not explained at all. No. Like, he's very, he's like very strange. Like, how did this person, how, yeah, how did this like weird blood covered person come to be when everybody else, I mean, not everybody else in the village is, is quote unquote normal. There's been <laughs> weird stuff going on, but this person in particular is bizarre and there's no explanation for it. <laughs> I feel like he might be like a like a supernatural element that comes along with the goddess. Hmm. I didn't consider like that. a servant to Maybe. her. And that he is there because she is there. So he has no choice but to be there. Because he does move very differently, you know, he um, isn't exactly, he doesn't move in a human-like way. Um, yeah. He doesn't talk and he, he doesn't, doesn't speak. <laughs> he, he doesn't have any, um, like, it, he clearly has no relationship with anyone other, yeah. than, other than her. So I guess that makes sense. I never thought of it that mm. way. I think that that's what he's there for. Because... Um, he drags the sack of a human body to the entrance of the barn and hoists it up. Um, so we find out that that we hear the screaming. It's Jennifer in the sack. Uh, the camera cuts to Thomas asleep in the cave, just hanging out, passed out, covered in guck. In, yeah. How do you sleep like that? Well, I'd throw up. <laughs> look if I, I can watch it but if it was on me like my body my brain would just be like oh my god oh my god no no you're right near yeah. water go for a swim yeah I but I mean Thomas is hardcore you know like yeah. this this man I mean he's he's gross daily anyway because he's kind of he's very greasy like he's greasy through the whole film I don't know if yeah. you noticed that but <laughs> do they bathe I don't think they even bath there yeah everyone looks pretty dirty yeah, everyone except for Andrea. She's the only yeah. clean, she's the only clean person. Maybe that's on purpose. Yeah, maybe. Ooh, symbolism. Yeah, intentional. <laughs> uh, so Andrea finds Thomas in the cave and he asks, what is this place? To which she responds, you wouldn't believe me. And he's just like, well, you haven't told me, so how do I get to make that decision? Anyway, so she gives him some clothing and... Um, as he's getting changed, she noticed that he has scars on his back. Um, and he goes on to tell her that he will, once was a Christian missionary who was persecuted in Peking during the Boxer Rebellion for introducing Christianity to China, which as a result caused him to lose his faith, which is um, quite, I think it opened his eyes to other things happening in the world that weren't, you know, uh, founded in Christianity. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a a conversation that a lot of people have about, you know, what what right does anyone have to, like, <laughs> try to indoctrinate other nations with their own beliefs um, with Christianity? And I think, um, you know, Thomas's story, like, as as brutal as it is, is like a very real representation of what we're realizing. Like I'm saying we as in folks who are formerly Christian or Christian, like yeah. we're realizing that that's not, um, it's really not acceptable and that there are consequences. And <laughs> Thomas 
you know, he reaps those consequences in a very yeah. real, very brutal way. And it definitely would have opened his eyes to how, like you said, the audacity that um, Christianity feels, or well, that they have in indoctrinating the world, but then turn around and tell, you know, Satanists and Buddhists and Muslims not to indoctrinate our children. And it's right. just like, this is pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> right, yeah. It's really fascinating. And I, I do love, as an atheist, I love religious horror. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do find it really fascinating, um, different perspectives on religion and how it is a real life horror that we deal with every day. Yeah. And, um, for a very long time I've, you know, I, I went from Mormonism to born again, Christian and to, to atheist. So it, uh, it was a long journey, but I've, I've studied religion. I probably became an atheist around 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Where I was just like, what's I also went through like an uh, existentialism and a bit of a crisis, <laughs> and so it it led me to where I am today, and I, I appreciate that part of my journey. But it's just like, um, yeah, the audacity that Christianity has to to continue to claim that they are the true religion while um, indoctrinating and basically poisoning people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, that's another reason why I was drawn to this film to talk, to speak about is because I think that, um, in the main character, Thomas, he's, you know, he's completely lost his identity. Like when you meet him at the beginning of the film, he's like this haggard, dirty, like his hair is grown, his beard is grown. Like he's like a shell of the person he once was. Um, because he lost his faith and um, you know, it was a, like, as you said, a result of this like very brutal, painful thing that happened to him because of that uh, audacity. Yeah. And, and, and I too went through this sort of like ex- existential um, period when I started to question things. Cause it's around that time when you're like 13, 14, 15, you're like starting to kind of think for yourself Um, and, you know, especially if you're living in a community like mine, that's so, um, you know, your identity hinges on your religion and like people talk about it openly and it's, it's everywhere. And if you're not part of that group, then you don't really have a group because that's your whole, your whole town, you know? Wow. Um, and I think that I related a lot to Thomas in, that way because i mean i'm i went on mission trips not not to other countries but to like other states and small communities um and i you know you're you're trained up as a christian to be a quote-unquote fisher of men so it's like that's a direct quote from the bible um wow that you're you're meant to like go out and bring people in and uh yeah i i forgot where i was going with that but (laughs) but my point is, is that that loss of identity, the loss of community and feeling like, you know, for, for Thomas, I don't think at the beginning he was very interested in learning who he was without religion. Um, and then I think, you know, part of the, part of the point of the film is that kind of by the end, he's, he's got a new faith, um, but it's, it's in something different. Um, 
and I think that anyone who is alienated from the origin, original religion they grew up with uh, kind of has that same experience. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I went off on a tangent there. No, but, I, um, I, I love talking about this stuff. I'm, I, I'm a very much a, a hedonist, so I, <laughs> I am. I am God. I have faith in myself. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I mean, like I, I have, <laughs> that's the thing is that uh, I remember being asked when I said that I, I wasn't a Christian. I remember being asked then like, what do you believe in? How do you have hope? Like what, what, and I'm, I'm like, I mean, I <laughs> like, I, I have my own belief system. It's just, it's, it's not centered on this like supreme deity. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but there are things that I believe in and have faith in, and I have hope. Yeah, and, you know, I just don't happen to believe that there's something as con like if there is anything after death. Um, yeah, I don't think that we have the ability to know about it. Exactly. H- how can you know for sure? Right. <laughs> and um, I, I I just find it very fascinating that people put all that hope, belief, life after death in a religion rather than in something that they'd hope for themselves without having an omnipotent um, being controlling that. Yeah. It's well, I think just, it's, uh, it's kind of, odd. you know, um, it's kind of funny that where I grew up, um, there was, there's like a running gag in a way is like, if you, if you screw up, um, or if you're gonna do something wrong, then you're kind of like, well, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. Like, like I'll ask God for forgiveness later. Um, so you like go ahead and do it anyway, and then you pray about it later. And I think um, folks What's who, the point of that? yeah, exactly. Folks who don't have that kind of security have to be a lot more mindful and thoughtful <laughs> about what they're doing because they they want to be good people genuinely. Yeah. yes absolutely because they should be accountable and there's consequences for doing the wrong thing to people or right you know you can't just pray that away (laughs) right yeah i think people find a lot of uh strange justifications for the things that they do yeah yeah especially religious people (laughs) yeah oh i i did that because god will forgive me will he will he forgive you for calling that person such and such yeah no probably not People are strange, as can Absolutely. be seen in a possible In this film, um, <laughs> so Andreas, they know now that it's Thomas that yeah. is the infiltrator of the island. And so Andrea takes him to hide him in a shack behind a wheat field and is like, stay here. Yeah. During this time, Fionn is revealing to Jeremy that she is pregnant and that they need to get off the island to elope. Yeah. Um. Later on, Fionn is at home and Quinn arrives because he knows that Fionn is pregnant. Yeah. He's heard on the grapevine. Yeah. And well, he, Quinn is so fucking nasty. There's a there's a part early on in the movie where he is, like, spying on her in the bathroom. Yeah. Do you remember really that creepy. part? I was yeah. like, mm, that's not, that's really weird. He is very owner of Fionn like he feels like he owns her yeah and and then you find out later that he he feels like he owns women in general yes which is (laughs) one of the biggest messages in this film which I found really fascinating and Um, the fact that the island deity is is a is a is a she 
Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, his little monologue is very interesting, which I do have written down here, so I can't wait to get to that. I can't wait for you to read it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's really horrible because Quinn, uh, whilst abusing her psychologically, also abuses her physically. And then he mourns that he kills her. Yeah. Which really grossed me out. Um, I mean, because I he tried think... to force an abortion and that's what killed her. I don't even think, like, was the mourning even genuine? I don't no. think so. No, he's a sociopath. He don't care. Yeah, he, he really doesn't. He's like, you know, th- I've seen a lot of villains, but for some reason, something about this particular villain just really grosses me out. Yeah. Yes. And Jeremy returns to Fionn because he's like, I've got a way out of here to find that she is dead. And Quinn turns to him and says, you did this. You put your seed inside my beautiful angel. I had no choice. You took her from me. And I was like, what? No, this is on you. You did this. Not, not poor naive fuck? Jeremy. He is a child. <laughs> Actually. Like, yeah. You, yeah. Um, so Jeremy pulls out a knife and stabs Quinn and they have like this massive fight and um, Quinn is, like, throwing Jeremy around this cabin. It was full on. <laughs> yeah. Well, Quinn is, like, three times Jeremy's size. True. Like, he's a very <laughs> big guy. And then Jeremy's just kind of, like, a little scrawny. Yeah. But yeah. but I you have to hand it to Jeremy. He did pretty good. Like, he held I mean, up his own. Yeah, for someone so small. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this part really sickened me because Quinn runs out of the house holding his side and calling for help, yelling out to the villagers that Jeremy is the one that killed Fion, and uh, sends the guards after Jeremy, who has run through the crops towards Andrea at the wheat shack. And he is saying, you know, like, um, Quinn killed Fion. And whilst this is going on, Quinn is back in the village saying, he's the one that killed her, he needs to be purified. And so the villagers have started setting up the contraption that is used for their purification ritual. Ugh. Yeah, it's a totally, like, if people are expecting horror, I just want you to know it's a totally normal contraption. um, And there's (laughs) no gore and nothing surprising or shocking uh, that we're about to say. (laughs) Are you fucking with me? I think you're fucking with me. <laughs> this, is the, this is the scene that I was just like, oh, oh, oh fuck. Yeah, I think so, we were talking yeah. about before, this is literal nightmare fuel. I have had yeah. nightmares about this scene. Oh, really? Yes. because Like it's, you're in the contraption? Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm but so the, sorry. The, the, well, okay, wait. I'll let you describe what it is and then I'll tell you what really gets me. <laughs> okay. So the guards have not only captured Jeremy, but they've also brought Thomas back. And he's in like some, you know, how they put that a stick and they put your hands over it and tie you to it. I don't know what it's called, but it's like being arrested. Um, <laughs> it's a restraint. Yeah, of some kind. A, a medieval, it's not even medieval time, a 1905 restraint. Yeah. Um, so they place Jeremy on this table and his head is held in place by a vice. Uh the bit that really grossed me out is that as Quinn is tightening the vice, we can hear Jeremy's skull cracking. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I like that Quinn's elected himself as the person to perform this ritual. Malcolm's nowhere in sight. Yeah. Um, Quinn is like, no, fuck Malcolm. Malcolm um, really, like, honestly, he dropped the ball here. Cause he yeah. Where he was he? Yeah, he should have been there. As if you wouldn't hear all your villagers chattering away and someone yelling and people screaming and yeah. then you show up? I don't understand. But, but um, that, that's the part, the part that you said where Jeremy's, you can hear his skull crack. So there's a, a like really nice little bit of imagery there where the skull cracks and then um, it's as if a blood vessel has broken um, across the camera. Um, <laughs> and uh, so you're seeing from Jeremy's point of view and you just see the, yeah. the, you hear the crack and then see the blood spread. And it's, that's what gets me. I'm literally oh, really? getting, I'm getting like the idea of like a blood vessel Ugh. in your eye. Like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but that, but, but that, that's the part that like really gets me. Yeah. It's, it's not the it other. It's really brutal it's not the other part where like you know the the screw is in the brain it's scalp yeah (laughs) well well, not only before this he actually de-scalps well sorry it's not de-scalp he scalps jeremy to show his brain well he He, like carves it off well what he does is um he just shaves it into like okay i thought you could see like yeah, because I was like, oh, can you see, a, like, it's the soft part of his brain, like the scalp. So you know how you have, like, your really soft part here? Mm-hmm. That's the part. So it kind of looks kind of pinky, kind of yeah. malleable. He, he like, shaves the hair away and then the, mm. the, the screw is, like... I don't know how to describe it, but it, it's like it's like a screw, and then there's like a, a tunneling sort of yeah. device. It's like a bar- it's barrel. It's going to barrel out Jeremy's Ooh. brain. Yes. Oh. <laughs> but the worst part is that as he's putting this screw in, he leaves it in, and then goes over to Jeremy and whispers to him, "I wanted this." Uh, he's so gross. Yeah. He continues to crank the drill and in response, as Jeremy is dying, he's convulsing and groaning, which um, is very common in brain dead people and brain injuries. Uh, My dad has experienced it. Um, Mm. Not himself, obviously, but my dad is an ex-police officer. So he's been to uh, quite a few car accidents where this kind of thing has happened. So it's, yeah, it's really horrible. And it's car accidents where someone has drilled and and just completely. Oh, I see. Um, uh, So where my dad's ex-military police. Oh. And um, he, near his army barracks, every couple of weeks they do t- tank drills where they do, uh, tanks would drive from one exit, um, go up one like up an exit ramp, go over a bridge, down, and then like do a circle on a highway at like three a.m. So no one was on the road, and a car was stolen, and at eighty kilometers an hour entered the freeway and ran up the back of a tank. Oh my god. And clinically he was dead, but the man was still uh, making noises and convulsing. So, yeah, my dad threw up when he saw that. So, <laughs> um, 
I mean, I feel like I would be completely traumatized. Uh, I that is why my dad has PTSD. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, my dad told me that story when I was like twelve years old, and I was like, "Oh, thanks, Dad. I wonder why now I like gruesome things." Yeah. This is why. See, like for me, that might turn me off gruesome things. <laughs> um, the way that my dad tells it is very factual and very oh, like, like detached. It's just yeah, yeah. There, uh, yes. there is PTSD. I, <laughs> Sometimes there has to be, like, I mean, even when I'm talking about horror movies, sometimes there has to be, like, a level of detachment because sometimes oh, yeah. sometimes things are, are, like, really hardcore. Yeah, my dad had, uh, look, a lot of the things I won't mention what my dad has told me because, you know, like, I'd need a bazillion content warnings, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I found really fascinating that I don't understand is that he, when he removes the drill from Jeremy's skull, is he places a piece of red fabric in his um, head? It's a rose petal. Oh, is it? I thought it was fabric for some reason. Maybe. maybe well, so when um, at the beginning of the film, when Thomas opens his like invitation to the island of Ariston, there's a rose petal in there oh. and it's it's left uh, a mark on the paper to show that he's the person who is the, the, the... yeah the infiltrator yeah. in infra- yeah. infiltrator <laughs> yes um and I think it's like the same same type of petal symbolism yeah yeah that motif. Because he says, granted unto thee the symbol of purity, let it guide you. So maybe it's the flowers from the deity. Because she does blossom. Yeah, she does. I didn't think of that. Now I feel like I have to go watch it again. I think I need to watch it again. (laughs) Which, you know, it's a great experience. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed this film. It's great. When I first watched it, it took me a while to get through it because I just have really bad concentration problems so mm-hmm. i was like two hours but now i can sit through it easily and i'm like okay cool easy yeah i can do this <laughs> I've seen it. it's weird i'll just turn it on like it's like a weird comfort watch it's not comforting at all but i just turn it on because it's, it's really familiar and it's good yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, frank returning to the village finds his son dead malcolm is with him and he's pissed off Yelling at everyone, saying, look, I'm still the leader here. And Quinn challenges him, telling him the village, uh, telling the village that Malcolm is a false prophet and to prove himself, he must kill Thomas. He says to Malcolm, in the eyes of your child and all that doubt, you take this knife. And basically is like, you have to kill Thomas. Yeah, he just, he made that rule up on the spot. To, he did. To, pro- to prove that you're not a false prophet, you have to kill this person. You have to kill this person. <laughs> it's like, who made, who made that rule? Who died and made you boss, Quinn? Yeah, I mean, this is like what we were talking about in the beginning. This is where that, like, that ego comes in. And, um, you know, I mean, things were kind of fucked anyway. But uh, yeah. <laughs> when, when, when these, like, two male egos clash <laughs> things things get wild i wonder how it would have gone if women ran the island i mean the deity um would seem to have been doing fine without before, them without them yeah <laughs> yeah she was just doing what she wanted to do she was just being nature you know exactly um so andrea is pleading with her father not to kill thomas and while there's like this kerfuffle going on, we hear a 
gunshot and Frank has come out of his cabin enraged with the death of his son wanting revenge on Quinn. So he's like, I'm going to shoot this motherfucker. And Quinn darts off. Thomas sees this as an opportunity to break free. And he gets rid of this restraint and runs off into the forest, which, mind you, is incredibly scenic. Uh, This film was shot in Wales. And um, I'd love to go there because it just looks so beautiful. Yeah, it's um, one of the things that I like uh, about this bit when he goes into the forest is that when, you know, the whole movie has been like very gray and blue. Yeah. Um, and then when he runs into the forest, all of a sudden, like for, for Thomas, it's like, it's light and pretty <laughs> and, and like gorgeous. And luscious and green. And yeah. What the hell? <laughs> this, am I on the, in the same island right now? Symbolism. This, are we in the same place? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so Quinn and Malcolm have taken off with guns chasing Thomas and just firing like I realize that Malcolm's just a really bad they, they, all these men are really bad shot shots mm-hmm. they can't, they're terrible they miss everything but there's this really brilliant moment where everything slows down and Thomas sees a woman dressed in white with white hair uh, walking between the trees mm-hmm. and um, I think because it's the projection of the deity it's her um, you know guiding him in a way mm-hmm and so he continues to run and gets towards the the barn and there there are like men falling out of the barn yelling like burn it down and he's just like oh what the fuck is going on here <laughs> but we see the grinder come to the door of the barn um to get the men and drag them back inside he's like ah get in here oh come on just, we're sacrificing you um dinner's running away get back in here um that's what the grind i i think the grinder should have a really pretty like uh like apron like kitchen apron <laughs> on and he's like dinner is served my lady mm-hmm. that's what he'd say to the to the goddess um <laughs> it would be muffled behind his blood, yes his bloody wicker mask i think that mask is so cool it is cool i mean I just wish I understood it. <laughs> oh, me too. I, I just know that it's a wicker, wicker mask. That's yeah, all it, I know it looks, about it. It looks badass. I feel like the grinder should have his own movie. Oh, right? Because he, he really could. He could. He could. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, you know, we'll what get... What would the we'll, premise we'll, be? We'll, well, we'll get to the end because the end kind of leaves it. I mean, I doubt there will ever be an Apostle 2, but it does leave it, <laughs> o- it, does leave it open it does you know where there could be <laughs> um so thomas is underneath the barn and malcolm and quinn have shown up and he's watching them and quinn bravely takes a shot at the grinder and misses don't know why he'd do that and i was like he's ready to usurp this whole thing yeah he's taking over everywhere because he's pointing the gun at malcolm and shoots him in the shoulder and i've written here is this guy a really horrible shot or is it just me yeah he's um very bad and he's also like he shoots malcolm in the shoulder and then he was like okay malcolm's dead he got shot in the yeah, shoulder shot him in the shoulder because he lands in a bunker like um which is obviously i think it's a trap that they yeah. use in the forest to capture people who are running away and he kind of appears to be dead so we even think he's dead and we're like oh okay no worries no yeah. problem well, I mean, 
the average viewer would think he's dead. The average. Yeah. The non seasoned viewer. <laughs> yeah, but we're not average. We know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the grinder returns to the barn and continues to tend to the goddess, um, feeding her like a bucket of blood and guts. Mm-hmm. And Thomas is like looking in, and there's this really grotesque torso of a woman on the floor, and like her, like she's got no arms, no head, but all her intestines are like hanging out. So I think that it's, um, it's, uh, it's either Frank or Jeremy. Oh, okay. Cause I couldn't, yeah. re- I thought it was a woman for some reason. Cause I, I was, I was reading, um, it's probably I was Jeremy. reading. Jeremy. Yeah, it it looked kind of like Jeremy to me, but then I was reading another synopsis that was like, oh, it's Frank, but I it looked like Jeremy to me. When did Frank die? He got shot, like, right before that. Oh, okay, I didn't think he died from that. Yeah. Okay, that's sure interesting. That. But then, you know, the grinder would have to do really quick work for that. To yeah, he'd have to work fast. Yeah, and I mean, it was just a torso, so then... <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was Jeremy just a torso yeah <laughs> um, so this goddess is looking incredibly uncomfortable you know she's trapped in this in these vines um, she's groaning while she's eating so she kind of sounds like she's in pain as well and it's it's just a really it's really sad yeah I that mean, she's it's... been used this way it's um, evident, and I think you know. I think even Quinn says it later that he's he views her as a machine. Yeah. Um, in his monologue, yes, he does. And <laughs> yes, I can't. I can't wait for you to get there. Because um, he's so horrible. Yeah, he's terrible. Fuck yeah. that guy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> fuck, fuck men in most horror movies. Um. True. True. Uh, Thomas finds his sister hanging in um, this burlap sack and um, he gets her down and lets her go. And all I can think about is this isn't going to go well. (laughs) This isn't going well. Um, And the grinder grinder does discover Thomas and whacks him right in the back of the head and Quinn comes into the barn and takes Jennifer. Yeah. So I'm like, is Quinn saving her? Was she a uh, like a trap to get Thomas? I don't, I don't know. I'm curious. Yeah. But um, David comes to and realizes he's being hoisted up oh, into Tom- a Thomas. Tor- Thomas, did I say something else? You said David. Oh, did what is wrong? Who's David? No, you're talking about the guest. You're oh, I totally, am. Oh you my are god. Totally talking about the guest. Anyway. In the crossover universe, yeah, David from The Guest. <laughs> yes. I'd love to see. I love how my like, subconscious brain just did that. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, your subconscious it's brain Thomas was like, it's Dan Stevens. It's Dan, Dan Stevens, Stevens it's David. David. <laughs> I'm sorry. But this, um, this contraption is horrible looking. Yeah. It and it's, a meat, it's essentially a human meat grinder. Yeah, there's a reason they call the guy the grinder. I mean, well, he grinds and, the meat, and and you find you find out really really fucking fast. <laughs> yes, you do, and this is it. Um, so there's this really cool like tussle, like wrestle between the grinder and Thomas, and Thomas sticks like a, one of the there's like a a piece sticking out of his metal chain, mm-hmm. and he like stabs it into the wicker mask around the grinder's face. Mm-hmm. And the rack continues to drag, like to to what's the word, like spinning, 
and it drags the grinder and breaks his neck and i was like that is brutal yeah i mean and and you know thomas lost three fingers i'm I'm pretty sure it was three fingers in yeah (laughs) and uh yes he did yeah i love that fight actually because it's like very um you know, very constricted. Like Thomas can't move very much because he's got these hooks in like his hands and his legs. And uh, he's being sort of like hoisted or like slowly dragged into this, yeah, and he's this like, meat grinder. And um, there's a limited amount of time until right. he's dragged into the grinder. It's like limited time, lim- limited range of motion. He loses three fingers, but he's ultimately victorious. Yes. And he stumbles over to the goddess who um, tell, I can't remember what she says to him, but something about how he was there for a reason or. A per- she, she's, she's some, she's like my son. I've been waiting for you. That's right. Yeah. Um, so like she, she knew that he was coming um, and had been expecting him to essentially like show up and and save her let her free yeah Yeah. that's so cool because at the start of the film he does also say to jeremy about his purpose of being there yeah and it's like what is your purpose it's obviously to save your sister but there's another purpose there's a higher purpose yeah um quinn has lost his damn mind and has captured malcolm jennifer and andrea at this point Mm-hmm. and is like chain them all up and um is talking about how malcolm is a false god because he uh he is the one who discovered what the goddess could do for them yeah and uh quinn goes on to say but she's no god she's just a machine you feed her and she delivers malcolm he was soft when the blood of the animal stopped working he tried to feed her himself hmm he fell victim to faith he would let he would have let us all starve instead of doing what needed to be done instead of feeding her what she needed to be fed look above you that will be your sun your cloud your moon your only way of knowing that a day is past and many will for i will save this village you will avail your bodies to me and when it is ripened i will feed her the flesh of your womb and every year we shall celebrate he hates women yeah also malcolm's not in there at this point sorry That's remove a- malcolm he wasn't there it's a very brutal monologue. Yeah. And I mean, and it's just I, like, you really hate these women. You hate the fact that this goddess is giving, giving her body and her will to you and is not giving you what you want. Right. And I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, there, there are elements of, you know, there, there's the, the misogyny of course, but then there's also this sort of like, um, you know, parallel with like nature and creation and how men, uh, not, you know, humans kind of like bastardize like the the purpose of (laughs) the earth, the, like, like, for, for them, like it's a, the earth is for us, I guess, for the earth is a machine. Women are machines. They create, they produce, um, and that's like the, their ultimate function. So I think like, the the film i think does a really good job of like that parallel between women and the earth it's kind of beautiful 
but yeah but Quinn is not (laughs) but see people and and I think this is a heavy reflection of the time that the film was set in of Mm -hmm. um women being purpose purposeful and only having one purpose and then yeah. also reflecting that men exploit the purpose of cert- of of different aspects of of society and nature and mm-hmm. um employment yeah. <laughs> women's bodies um yeah. it's really fascinating and you know as you look deeper in it you're just like okay so Quinn is just this really horrible misogynistic capitalist yeah that's what he represents which was a lot of men in 2018 when this film was released. <laughs> and, and a, a and lot now. of men now. And <laughs> I mean, we have what's going on in Texas, for instance. It's like Ugh, very, um, I mean, obviously it's not apostle, but it is, um, you know, men with these similar ideologies. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't understand why men think that they get to control everything. It's gross. Yeah. I mean, that's me putting it very politely yeah. with no nuance. <laughs> right. It's just disgusting. <laughs> Men are disgusting. I actually said something funny to my partner last night. Um, I was talking about someone telling me that I should talk a certain way. Mm. And I was like, Ned, imagine if you spoke to me that way. He's like, I, he's like, uh, I could just kiss my life goodbye. <laughs> And I'm like, good, good, you know. He's like, I, he's, I was like, what? Imagine you trying to tell me what to do, and he's like, I'd be dead. No. I'm like, I'm glad you know. I'm glad you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you live in fear daily. <laughs> he just, no, I, I don't even know what I'd do if he did try to tell me what to do because I'd be like, oh shit. Um, well, it would be out like, of character. Oh, That's a good thing. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, I'd be like, excuse me. I just, I'd probably just drop dead out of shock. Um. <laughs> So Quinn is mad that Malcolm didn't want to feed the deity with human blood and flesh anymore. So Quinn wants to take back the village to ensure that it prospers uh, by feeding the feeding the deity human flesh again. So while all this is happening, Thomas has burnt the entire barn to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and because everything runs underground, the village is also starting to burn. Cleansing, Wait, did, cleansing everything. Did we skip the part where the deity asked him to... Did I? I'll set. Yes, she did ask him to do that, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. She yes. she showed him um, basically like her history on the island and her being discovered. Yeah. Um, she seemed to have been That's living right. a, a really peaceful, nice, nature-y uh, life. Out. You know, she wasn't really doing much. Um, ah. Like I think of her kind of like as the, the spirit of that island. She was just existing. Yeah. Um, and then these men came along and uh, captured her and began to exploit her. Um, and then she asks Thomas to set her free, which for her would be to um, immolate her. Yes, because she is um, a, a tree, base, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Not her ghost form. Well, not it, it's her her metaphysical form when she's the old woman walking on the yeah i think she kind of like like projects herself um but her physical form is like now imprisoned in this tree tangle of roots it's it's really beautiful prison yeah i mean but it's like i feel weird talking about it because like i feel like this like little heartbreak 
Like, I feel so bad. For oh, her. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but so- it's it's her as well. Like, those roots and those plants are all intrinsically linked to her. Yeah, because and... because the entire island is her. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like, it, it is heartbreaking, but it is also beautiful. And yeah. even her burning is beautiful. It's like cleansing and, and freedom. And so she takes the whole island down with her. Yeah. And it's great because, you know, everyone has to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, minus the fact that Andrea and Jennifer are chained up because Quinn has <laughs> chained them because he thinks he's going to feed the goddess with Jennifer and Andrea. Uh, um, yeah, but- with, with the products of their wombs. <laughs> are they even pregnant? How can they do that? I oh, mean, that's no, oh, he, I don't want to think he, about it. I mean, I think he, he says he intends, like, his intention is to make them pregnant. Oh. Like, over and over again. Oh. He's going to feed them babbies. Yeah. Oh, that's yuck. That's gross. Um, but Thomas intervenes, stabs him, and Jennifer... Oh, no, Andrea, sorry. Puts a... Like, gets a chain around his neck. I'm like, she strangles him to death with that chain yeah he deserved worse oh they were way too nice to him yeah oh no he did get it pretty bad because as andrea's dragging him his body (gasps) thomas grabs the knife (laughs) and as he's being dragged the knife just like goes like is dragged through his entire body like almost like it's like you know a quartering you know like when they yeah yeah it's like basically from from sternum to stomach oh no lower even lower it's his groin (laughs) yes yes oh i loved that because i was like that looks really painful he deserved to have his like head popped off but you know yeah yeah i it still wasn't good enough Still wasn't good enough, but it but it was pretty good. <laughs> it, was, it was still pretty good. I'd watch that death scene over and over again, yeah, for funsies. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's why it's my comfort film. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they are they all get back to the village and realize that it's burning down, and Andrea is horrified because that's probably all she's known her entire life. But she's kind of like, also cool, it's on fire. I can get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, there's hope there. Um, So they all run uh, through the village down to the boat dock over some really beautiful, pretty green hills. They, ah, just so, I reckon it would smell really nice there. Yeah, I mean, well, there is the bit where, like, the island kind of screams and then explodes with blood. So I'm wondering, would it smell nice? (laughs) Depends how far away you are from that bit. Yeah, because I mean, there's goo tunnels, like blood and nasty tunnels, like going all through it. So I do wonder about that. But but okay, all right. Do not be fooled. It is actually very gorgeous. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um. So Thomas stops on top of the hill. He's so injured that he's unable to move, and he. Clean, well, he remarks that he he can't feel his legs, and when the camera goes behind him, we see this like trail of blood behind him. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh, he's not going to make it out. Yeah, it's it's pretty clear um, yeah. that, but I mean, he was stabbed like 
10 times. Uh, quite a few times, yes. Yeah, it was just like boom, 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 boom. I was like, oh, oh, that was vicious. Yeah, it was It was hard to watch that part. Just yeah, because stabbing is always something where I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Wow. Um, he says to Jennifer, who is like saying, I don't want to lose you again. And he says, this world has taken so much from me, but in all of my pain, even in my darkest days, I swore that it would never take you from me. Live and be the light that guides me to eternity always in my heart. And I was like, that's... Mm. Stop it. Um, Jennifer and Andrea make it in time for the boat to leave. And we see uh, Malcolm arrive. <laughs> next to thomas and i'm kind of he's like fuck the boat's leaving yeah <laughs> so i'm stuck here now <laughs> but yeah i mean he doesn't seem too disappointed though yeah. like I, I, like because i don't know i think it, he's come to think of it as his home and there's also this like realize like there's something in his eyes that like he knows that he fucked it up and that that's <laughs> what he deserves <laughs> and that he deserves to be here while the entire island basically dies yeah well, it's going through a cycle of dying. Um, so Thomas lays down in the long grass as it starts to reach into his skin. Yeah, beautiful. And the movie ends with the goddess whispering. Uh, I'm not too sure what language she's speaking, but in English it is, no more shall you poison our crop. I swear you shall starve unless you give us pure harvest. Hmm. I didn't know that that's what it said in English. Yeah. I was like, I need to know what she said. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And that is the scene where you see uh, a smile from Dan Stevens. Like, a, yeah. a, like um, not a smile, but like relief. Yeah. It, yeah. It is. It's definitely relief. And like, I think kind of like realization and like a reconnection to like that like this is the part about identity i was talking about it's like a a, a connection like a reconnection to the rest of the world and himself yeah. and you know the the island i think that he Definitely. he found that again yeah and you know there's uh, the ending is quite ambiguous so people have a lot of different perspectives on what it is is uh thomas the new deity for the island um does the island continue to die uh what happens we don't know yeah. Well, I mean, the grass does kind of like, I mean, it, it does like bits of it goes into his skin, but it also kind of turns greener and it kind of like gravitates toward him. So, yeah. I mean, my theory is that, you know, the reason she wanted him there was so that she, she, they could go through that cycle of death and rebirth and that her spirit kind of like resides in him as a vessel. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of what I got out of it, but I can also see why there are a lot of different theories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a quote from Gareth Evans who is um, in a Collider interview. He's the, the director of the film. And he explains that the ending is meant to represent cycles of violence and political perversion throughout history, a fact that uh, a fact the human race can't seem to escape. Well, damn. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely see that. <laughs> yeah. I think that we've been talking, like, I didn't know that he said that, but I think we've been talking about mm. that this entire time, which makes me feel kind of good that I was <laughs> <laughs> on the right track. <laughs> I was on the right track. Yeah. Because it would have been really embarrassing if you were like, here's a quote from Gareth Evans saying that and everything you thought was false. What's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> 
um, the film has not only classified as a folk horror, but also um, eco horror, which is you know quite a, a popular uh, uh, subgenre. To be honest, I um I didn't realize how much eco horror I had actually watched. You know, we have Wrong Turn, we have Jaws, The Ruins, um, Godzilla. Um, like there's there's so much going on when it comes to eco horror. Uh, what what are your feelings about eco horror and and the things that it represents? I mean, I think that I only realized literally earlier today because I, I re-watched Apostle earlier today that <laughs> like I, I, re- I re-watched it you know multiple times but um, it was the first time where I kind of like actually said wait a second this is eco-horror like that's what this is because um, I always kind of thought of it as like folk horror which yeah. it is um, but I think that I'm only now becoming aware of eco-horror as like a, a genre. Um, I didn't think about it much before, but as I'm like learning from the horror community um, and watching more films, um, I'm starting to kind of fall in love with the idea of uh, of nature taking, kind of like taking control back from, you know, the what man has done to it um yeah and so now I'm actually like looking for like aspects of eco-horror and the things that I'm watching do you know what I mean yeah like I'm I'm like I'm like hungry for that because as a person who you know cares deeply about the environment um and cares about um you know animals and like I don't know. I want to see more of that. So if anybody is watching this and they have suggestions, you yes. can drop me a line because I, I want <laughs> to watch I want to watch. More. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> so um Christy Tidwell and Carter Souls have a book called Fear in Nature, Eco Horror Studies in Anthropocene. Do you know what I could say this word in my head? Anthropocene. Anthropocene. And- Okay, yeah, I know. I know the word you're talking about. And in my head, I can I'm, say it. I'm not. But I can't say get it, it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they argue that eco horror reflects our anxieties about science and the non-human while re- revealing how much we value these things. We fear science and its attempts to control the natural world. We feel fear the natural world and the way it exceeds our control. We also value science as a way of understanding the world. However, and re- oh, however, and return it repeatedly in these narratives we value the natural world and fear its loss at least as much as we fear non-human nature itself Mm -hmm. it's very complicated yeah it is very complicated because you could see how elements of eco-horror could even be in um you know like science fiction films about like robots overtaking the world (laughs) you know so yeah there's a lot to dive in there and unfortunately like i i haven't done that just yet um but over the course of this conversation, it's and like as I've been con- thinking about Apostle obsessively ever since you invited me on the show, <laughs> um, I've I've been like I want to explore that more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mine is just like I love films that don't fuck with Mother Nature. So, yeah. <laughs> um, like The Happening is probably one of my favorite eco horror films. So I. You know, I saw that in theaters when it came out. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, 
I don't know if I saw like a weird cut of it or what, but there was a part where like a boom mic dropped into the frame. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no, there is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think they've cut that out, though. Oh, my God. So I saw the one where it was there. <laughs> oh, no. I saw it in theaters and I remember it just being like, You're like hilarious. So I only saw it that one time because I like I laughed so hard but I need no and I, I'm I'm not saying this as an insult oh I would have as well I just I just need to rewatch it because I have only it's, watched I it really enjoy once. it <laughs> it's really messed up and I really like how it's a response to you know um uh, overpopulation and mm-hmm. this concept of people destroying nature with gentrification and building mm-hmm. cities and and transport um destroying you know the natural world that is around us and not appreciating it and uh the happening definitely was a like a turning point for me where i was like oh my god imagine if nature could fucking kill me yeah which i mean if you think about it it, it could it, it literally could. <laughs> it, it literally uh, could. <laughs> so in your journey of eco horror what are some films you would personally recommend um okay so the first one that comes to mind um that I feel like nobody talks about, nobody has really seen, is um, Little Joe. Have you seen that? No, but I have heard of Little Joe. Okay, so remember how I said Dan Stevens is my second favorite actor? (laughs) Yes. Um, My first favorite actor is Ben Wishaw. And um, Little Joe is about a... Uh, essentially it's about a scientist who works in a lab where they're kind of genetically engineering these plants. Um, But the plants kind of have, you know, a bit of a mind of their own and their own uh, like motivations and things that they want to accomplish. And they have evolved in a way where they can accomplish these things through infecting humans through their pollen. Um. So it's, you know, like it's, it's a drama and it's, it's like, it's a horror, but not really. And like, I I don't know, it has all of those like good elements of eco horror. And I think that more people should see it more people should uh, talk about it. Hmm. Amazing. I am definitely onto that. I like dystopian ones where there's no nature and it's like, this is what could happen. You could not be breathing air from trees. Yeah, you could have no nature whatsoever. Wouldn't that be yeah. fucked? Like Mad Max. No trees. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love those. I just want a reason to bring up Mad Max because um, they're bringing out a prequel called Furiosa. Um, oh, God. Okay, when, so when Fury Road came out, I think I posted a picture of this on Twitter like a couple of weeks ago, but um, after it came out, I shaved my head because I wanted to look like Furiosa. That's so I was, amazing. I was so obsessed. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. I love Mad Max. Um, Mad Max, uh, like Mel Gibson Mad Max, was one of the films that my dad watched repeatedly while I was growing up, and my cousins were obsessed with it, so I loved it. And so when they bought out Fury Road, I was like, oh my fucking god. (laughs) And it's like, it's filmed here. Um, I had a lot of friends who actually worked on the film, so that was really cool. Um, Like a lot of artist friends that uh, worked in the graphic design department for the film was, was really cool. So I uh, got to see some behind-the-scenes stuff that they were working on at the time. and That's badass. Yeah, it was awesome. 
Yeah, there was a studio here that worked on it. Uh, I can't remember the name of the studio, uh, but they also did Happy Feet. So, <laughs> <laughs> wait, I love yeah, that. <laughs> I saw I saw something about that on Twitter today, when somebody was like, "When when people say filmmakers can't cross genres, and there's like a picture yeah. of of Immortan Joe and like a picture of the Penguin from Happy Feet, <laughs> the crossover no one knew we needed." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would love to see that crossover. Yeah. It'd be a little weird, but I think I'd like it. Just it's just all of the people from Mad Max, but in Antarctica. Yeah, I guess they could they could they could bring it there. Actually, you know, I um I I know this writer uh, Peter Hackshaw. Um, actually, Dan Stevens did the audiobook for this book, but that's not why I'm bringing it up. But it's literally like it's literally like Mad Max um, in a like in a frozen like wasteland world it's called it's called everwinter by peter hackshaw okay that sounds really interesting it sounds like something i'd read it's it's pretty good i liked it i liked it a lot all right so uh we're gonna wrap this up with my final question okay what is the last horror movie you watched um the last horror movie that wasn't possible (laughs) 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 was uh honeymoon oh okay yeah. Yes, because you did. You did mention that um, you were thinking of that film as well when we were chatting. Yeah, um, I haven't seen that. I had a friend come over and wanted to show it to her. So, we what's that it. like having friends over? <laughs> we're not allowed to do that here. We haven't uh, been able to do that for three months. <laughs> so sorry. No, it's fine. I was just being a and being and cheeky. for for, for <laughs> listeners, just just so we're clear, I took a a, a COVID test before she came. Oh wow! And after she left and wow, we wore our masks <laughs> i'm very careful because i'm immunocompromised <laughs> so you can't be vaccinated can you um i have been vaccinated um, oh okay i just wasn't I, sure if you could i need or not. to uh get the booster shot there's a booster there is here oh there will be here then too because of delta so that's yeah. fine they're wanting immunocompromised people to get it first and then they want everybody else Fair. to get it yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, you get a flu shot every year. I do. I get because I get if I get a flu, it morphs into like something horrible. Yeah, I'm. I think you should write um, a horror story about that. About what? Getting sick all the time, or well, it, well, it morphs into what? <laughs> oh, like I've had really weird things. I've had ear infections, which adults don't usually get. I've mm. had. Um, I've had pharyngitis, laryngitis, bronchitis. I had uh, viral pneumonia at one stage. Oh my god! Like I, I've had every year for one, like one or two weeks. I have to take like time off work because I get the flu, and then it just morphs into something freaking horrible. So for folks listening, get your vaccines, not just Please. the COVID vaccine, but also the flu vaccine. Because otherwise people like me who have crazy, I have a crazy amount of white blood cells, which means my immune system is down. Um, mm. I need you to look after me, please. Yeah, I, I too have virtually no immune system and uh, the inflammation in my body of a woman in her 50s. Oh, I feel like I'm joining you there. Yeah. We'll see how I go. It's a, it's a fun club to be in. <laughs> My back anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank where you for having we... me. No, thank you. I'm... Thank you for also, <laughs> I should mention that I fucked up our times for recording <laughs> and me was so lovely as to stay up late and record with me. Yeah, 
It's past midnight right now. Oh my gosh. No. Uh, Where can we find you on social media? Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram under the at MayMurrayXO. Excellent. And that's where you can find all the information for the Book of Queer Saints, right? Yes. Amazing. And are you still running your Kickstarter? I can't remember Um, if you finished. It just finished on uh, Tuesday. Oh, okay. And will you be able to purchase the book at a later date? Um, yeah, it should be available on Amazon, um, paperback right. and ebook uh, in February of 2022. Fantastic. Well, thank you once again for joining me. Thank you so much, Kat. It was so much fun. And thank you, listeners. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review where you listen to your podcast, except Spotify because you can't review podcasts on Spotify for some reason. Uh, to catch all the latest from me, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at CatTJF, Twitter at TJFPod, and then you can also follow me at CatStead underscore. You've been listening to TGIF. See you next Friday.